Hey, what's up, everybody? My name's MJ, and you're listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. As usual, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to my local game store, Guardian Games. You can find Guardian Games on the web at ggportland.com. On today's episode, we're going to be talking more about Call Time. Yes, we're still talking about Call Time. It's still the most recent set until it gets bumped from, from that throne by Strixhaven here in a couple weeks. But since it's still the most recent standard legal set, we're going to be doing kind of a recap, I guess. Uh, a chance to really be able to talk about some things that worked, maybe some things that didn't work in the set a month or two after it has been released. So, without further ado, I would like to introduce my guest panelist for today, Michael1916. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, as you said, my name is Michael1916, and you can find me on Twitter, Twitch, and sometimes YouTube, but mostly Twitter at the moment. All right, and what's your handle on there so people can find you? That would be Michael1916 across all platforms that I am on. All right, just making sure. It makes it real easy yeah. when everything's the same. Did my best to do that from the very get-go. All right, I mean, hey, that, that's always appreciated. It makes it the easiest across there. It's usually the worst when you have someone who has multiple usernames and you're trying to remember, well, I don't remember who had this one or that one. So it's, yeah, it's really easy to remember. Yes. Anyway, so again, as I mentioned a moment ago, we're going to be talking about call time. So again, you mentioned before the show that you've played a lot of standard, did a little bit of limited here on this one. So I'm going to be referring to your expertise on this one. Again, I haven't had much of a chance to play call time. Again, my pre-release plans fell through. So I am basically coming at this from an EDH slash commander standpoint from a few games that I've had with people who are playing these cards. And again, for those listening at home and taking score, we are not going to be talking about Turgrid today. So if you've come here to listen to more discourse about Turgrid, this is not exactly the right place for that. Uh, because I did, because we did include that in my interview with Commander Mechanic about a month, month and a half ago. So if you want to hear more about that, I recommend you go and listen to that episode of the podcast. Anyway, so I wanted to start off today's episode talking about the two new mechanics in the set, and that being Boast and Foretell. So I'm going to start in alphabetical order. I'm going to go with Boast. And Boast is a new ability where a creature has some sort of special ability that can only be utilized, I believe it's, I believe you can use it instant speed, but after a creature has attacked. So again, if Correct. we're looking at something like Varagoth, Bloodsky Sire, he has Boast for one and a black. Target player searches their library for a card, then shuffles their library and puts that card on top of it. So... This just seems like one of those kinds of mechanics that I really love because the people who've been listening to my podcast for a long time know that I absolutely love combat. Again, my local meta for EDH is combat-based. We don't really do anything outside of combat. It's just how we prefer to play. So the fact that Boast basically feeds directly into this sort of play style really excites me. And eventually I'm going to start trying to put some Boast cards in some of my decks. But again, since I've only played EDH and I've only really played against a couple of these cards a few times, I don't really know how much these cards are actually doing in other formats like Standard. So again, I'm going to turn this over to our resident expert here on this to talk more about Boast specifically in Standard. Uh, as far as Boast goes, it has, like, there's a niche slot for it in a couple of decks, but it has a lot of play in a red-black Berserker deck. Uh... I wouldn't call it necessarily tier one, but it's up there because there's a lot of recursion in red and black. So the Rakdos colors, uh, and there's also a lot of very useful boast abilities, not to mention having access to something like uh, Arnie Broken Bow, 
Broken Brow, sorry, uh, who his boast ability is he gets power equal to the strongest creature you control. And he's hasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seems like a really so good like, effect. Especially for three yeah. mana there on a two and a red body. Yeah, just especially if you got a lot of, a lot of large creatures you're swinging in with, seems like the kind of thing where you're able to give that extra pump effect right on the creature, and you don't even have to use a red mana to be able to activate Arnie's ability, for instance. Whereas, like, with Varagoth, you still have to have at least one black sitting open to be able to utilize that. But I do believe you can use this instant speed, right? So that shouldn't be an issue. Yeah, it's it's all instant speed during combat after attack has been declared. Interesting. And only once per turn. Okay, that, that, yeah, that, that, that does make sense. I, I had a player who did boast at sorcery speed a week ago, so I just wasn't sure on that one. Um, yeah. yeah, so, I mean, at, at least from, from the way I'm looking at it, is that boast seems like one of those abilities where it is niche in EDH as well. Obviously, not every deck is going to be wanting something like that. I, I mean, again, Varagoth aside, since that's a repeatable tutor on a 2-3 death touch body, that seems very efficient. But again, yeah. Arnie may not be as efficient in EDH, depending on your meta, depending on your creatures, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I mean, I think Boast is kind of one of those abilities that's going to depend on the deck, depend on the exact ability for its application in EDH. But yes, I can definitely understand how it'll be a very, very strong, I mean, obviously not busted, but very strong and standard, as you mentioned. Yeah. Okay, and then you again, said that your yeah, Fortel was the next. Yeah, and Sorry. So, yeah so Fortel is next. And again, this is the opportunity for you to be able to exile one of the cards with Fortell from your hand. Pay two, so, it's, so in a way it's sort of like Morph, you're, but again, most of these cards, actually, I'm not even really sure how many of these cards actually were creatures. I think most of them are instants and sorceries, actually, if, if my memory serves me. Um, I think it's, it's, it's mostly instants and sorceries with a fair number of creatures and one that breaks the mold for everything. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so again, it's mostly instants and sorceries. You're able to pay two, put that exile that card face down, and then pay the foretell cost later to be able to utilize that card. So again, I've played against this more than boast. Again, this set's fairly new, so I haven't seen a ton of these cards yet in across the games that I've played. But I do believe the foretell. Even if the cards that it's on aren't necessarily the best in a lot of cases, I feel the fact that you can utilize mana earlier on, exile a card, and then utilize it for less cost later is actually quite a strong ability. Because typically, if you're going to have these kinds of costs, costed effects, they're over-costed in a lot of ways for the way most people seem to want to play EDH, especially. And the fact that you can utilize your mana earlier on in the game to put a card into exile and then be able to utilize it for less cost later actually seems extremely powerful, especially in those earlier turns where you may not be able to utilize your mana uh, efficiently, especially if you're you know, color screwed or whatnot. So again, this definitely seems like something that an EDH is extremely strong ability. Again, I'm looking like something like Poison the Cup, uh, again, which is a one black black instant, destroy target creature. If the spell was foretold, scry two, and with a foretell cost of one and a black. So again, this one, this, this specific card gets around some of the issues with, uh, like, Doomblade. Um, again, it's just destroy target creature, so you don't have to worry about the non-black bit on that one or any other sorts of qualifying abilities. So the fact that you can put this down for two and then use a foretell cost means that if it's stuck in your hand earlier on in the game and you don't necessarily have black mana, you can still at least get it on the battlefield, get it out of your hand, um, potentially confuse your opponents, 
or you know if you have to if you can use it for one black black just as a kill spell with no no issues and you get any and you get scry too if you can foretell something that's that's honestly pretty good value what about standard where how much has foretell really started to come in into the standard metagame there's a fair amount of it um there's some red green play with it and then there's uh i believe there's also a rakdos deck Oddly enough, the card that everybody I heard hyped about for Fortel was Dream Devour, and it also seems to be the one that has delivered the least in standard. But I can tell you from personal experience on the opposing side of it, it is a workhorse in EDH. Mm-hmm. And Dream so Devour. Dream Devour. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, it's uh, one and a black for a zero three, and it gives every non-land card in your hand Fortel. Uh. And it's it's nuts, but it also gets a, a plus two plus zero bump until end of turn whenever you foretell a card. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, in, in standard and even in EDH or commander, you can basically just read the first group of text. You don't even need to worry about the pump because it's almost always irrelevant. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that being uh, being an issue in standard. And the reason why I mentioned this not being played is. It, it, it forces you into a certain play style where you're forced to play a bunch of foretell cards. And again, since this is the first set that we've had the foretell mechanic, your card pool is extremely limited, especially if you're playing, let's say, mono black. Well, all of a sudden, you're really running short on options for foretell. So all of a sudden, Dream Devourer may not have the most utility. So we'll see how many how many uh, other sets come out with foretell coming out. But I think, yeah, that the... Judge is definitely going to be kind of out on Dream Devour for the moment, given the relative lack of foretell cards we have in the formats right now. Well, that's that's the beauty of the card, like Dream Devour. It's it's not amazing in standard because there's a, a limited amount, but its ability to give every not land card in your hand foretell sure, sure, kind of sure. makes up for the lack. Like in a, in a pod in a pool of EDH cards, you basically have everything that doesn't already have foretell printed on it now has foretell oh yeah yeah i which I is get, pretty pretty impressive i guess i meant more for standard um yeah is, no is, no in standard it's is that you're kind of it's pretty limited lack, yeah you're 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 lacking the ability to be able because i mean even though you don't have to have other foretell cards in there i feel like this is the kind of card that you're going to be trying to build around specifically so um it, yeah it, it just seemed i can definitely see why it's limited uh or fairly limited in standard environment but yeah the edh you can just drop some ridiculous bombs using Dream yeah. Devourer. That, that, that card just seems ridiculously powerful in the right deck because you don't even need to build around it, honestly, in EDH. You can yeah. just toss it in the 99 somewhere kind of willy-nilly and you can get some value off of it. Definitely. All right. So, so, yeah, go ahead. I, was say, I, had, I had one more, like an honorable mention. Sure. This card I, I have only seen in, like, fringe Azorius blue-white control decks, mm-hmm. but it's Cosmos Charger. Okay. And it allows you to foretell on any turn. Okay. So kind of like an instant speed uh, drop drop the card on the field and then be able to utilize it later. That seems Yeah. And it's it's kinda of, it's amazing that it doesn't really have a wider presence. It's a it's a four drop, three and a blue. It has flash flying on a three three body. It has a foretell cost of its own. It reduces the cost of foretelling other spells and allows you to do it at instant speed. Yeah, that 
that definitely sounds like the kind of card that could really get a boost from another set with Fortel in it. So absolutely, I, yeah. So I, I I really like that pick of yours. That seems like the kind of thing that at the moment it's a little bit underpowered, but can definitely come out with a bang depending on uh, how many of these cards end up being played in standard, being played in other formats, or being played even in EDH. And yeah. if you and if you end up playing Demirs, which is the blue black. All of a sudden, you can play that and Dream Devourer, and all of a sudden, you're really starting to go down that path. Very much so. All right. So now that we've talked about the two main uh, two main keyword evergreen keywords from this set, I mean, maybe they're not evergreen, but they definitely are the main ones from this set. Kind of want to just pick yeah. your brain on the on the set as a whole. So again, you've played a lot of standard. You've seen how these cards, the, the cards from the set, have really impacted standard and the other formats. I'm just curious to hear what your thoughts are on the set as a whole. What are some of the strengths that you really found out of the set? What are some of the weaknesses? And just what are some of the just kind of miscellaneous thoughts that you've had about the set in general? In my opinion, I can I can go very much in depth on this or I can go very light on it. But uh, in my opinion, this is the first standard set that is developed for EDH. This this is the first commander product being released as a normal standard set. Mm -hmm. Because you have so many cards. And it's not even just in like the rare and mythic slots. Like most standard sets have their EDH value in the, the mythic and rare. Some of the commons and uncommons from this set are already becoming EDH staples. But like you have things like Rally the Ranks, which is a build-your-own tribe anthem like you choose a creature type all of those creatures you control get plus one plus one for two mana and then there's things like um mask with nexus that makes everything 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 is now a shapeshifter yep. so you can you can literally make tribal 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 yeah the the changeling and and the changelings also got a whole bunch of support in this in the set as well yes a lot of, like, I think this is the most changelings we've had, if not the only changelings we've had since, like, Lorwyn Shadowmoor era. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's been a few that have come out, but it's been pretty piecemeal over the last, let's say, 10, 12 years. So, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I would agree with you that this has really been the first in serious influx of changelings since, yeah, you're right, since, since the, the Lorwyn Shadowmoor block. I, I will, I will say, I take that back. In standard, uh, because sure. Modern Horizons did have a fair amount of changelings. Sure, sure. But like, uh, Mystic Reflection just screams to me EDH. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, by now I'm sure everyone has seen the interaction where you Mystic Reflection after playing an Avenger of Zendikar. Yep. So then all of your plant tokens, your own Avengers making their own plant tokens. Which yeah, is just... It's pretty gross. Yeah, it, it's it's completely insane. For two mana. It's... What? Yeah. It seems like the kind of thing that Blue loves to do. Yeah. Well, see, that's one of those weird things for me. Because, like, it's... Effectively, it's a counterspell. Like, you can play this in Legacy if you wanted. And you'd say your opponent's on... Uh, breach and show or show and tell. Mm -hmm. Here's Gristle Daddy. Okay, here's Mystic Reflection. It's now a Elvish Mystic. Yep. Like, that's 
that is an insanely powerful card that I think, even with all the hype it's received already, is underhyped for what it's going to do to Eternal formats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree on that one. It just seems like the kind of thing that it seems so sneaky, you know? But the fact you're able to utilize it with the foretell cost, especially, just makes it completely busted. And then you have the reflections of Lajara as well. The the enchantment yeah. of four and a blue, which where if you're if you're running in tribal tribal, all of a sudden you can just start copying your spells. So you can copy your Mystic Reflection if you're even doing something on so if you're using that Avenger of Zendikar, all of a sudden you can use Mystic Reflection and then copy it again. And just yeah, the the, yeah. the copying and the and then Orvar, just so much copying in blue in this set. It's it's insane. So with Reflections of Lit Jar, something that a lot of people didn't realize going into it, um, when you mutate a creature, mm -hmm. you are still casting that spell. Gotcha. So if I mutate anything onto anything on the battlefield, it copies it if it's one of the named creature types. Mm-hmm. Which, a fair amount of the mutate creatures are beasts. Yep. And it, it's, it snowballs very quickly. Yeah, that, that that's pretty gross. For anyone who's out, out there who really likes a lot of the mutate mechanic from Ikoria, this is definitely something you can abuse quite easily in, in a lot of formats. Yes. Also in standard, and I, I think eventually, like if I'm able to get a paper copy of Reflections of Lidjara, I, I will have to build a Sultai Elves deck because it just I, I'm enjoying too much how well it works in standard. Oh man, that that's 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 a thing definitely i actually pulled one of these for my call time pre-release pack so i'm i may have to look into trying to find some ways to slip that into one of the 99s of one of my blue containing edh decks we'll see it's it's a great card oh yeah it's it's definitely something that i didn't really have much use for when i pulled it but now that you've brought it up again i'm gonna have to see what i can do with it also uh, it pairs well with mirror maid because oh, you get two yeah. copies of it for eight mana. Yeah, that that's just gross. Whew. Man, just, just, just thinking about all that blue value in, in a way makes me nauseous. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it, it's crazy how much blue had. And then you even can look at something like Raven Form, which is, again, it's slow, but the fact you can foretell it at common to exile target artifact or creature is still really good value at a common slot. Just yeah. it's insane. The, the the power of blue in this set, and then if you look at even Rune of Flight, which I've included in one of my EDH decks because it it, it can trips and gives your creature flying. And it's just yeah. the value. It then then if you have a bunch of snow mana, Graven lore is there at, at instant speed to just scry, scry, scry. And just I I cannot believe how busted blue is or was in the set cosima's in there um more right of the frost yeah even just a null is is good yeah. in, on its own at, at the common level so it just yeah blue is is beyond powerful in in this set okay so yeah so we mentioned blue and black what about some of the other colors? Let, let's try to be a little bit more fair to them. What what else is really being played in standard right now in the other colors? I've been seeing a fair amount of... So it goes, it's, it's a green card, but it's a five-color card. Uh, Path to the World Tree, and it okay. also pairs with Essica, which is also a green card, 
but a five color. And it's just, you know, one in a green, go and get a basic land, put it into your hand. But you can pay Wooberg and two, sacrifice it, gain two life, draw two cards, drain your opponent for two life, and then ping something for two, and then you get a two-two bear. That's that's some weird value right there. I, I yeah, this is another one I did pull from my uh, pre-release pack, and I'm I don't have a five-color deck, but I kind of just want to run it just as value, honestly, because it's it gives you that it too it's that land tutor, and I mean yes, it is unfortunately a basic land, so you can't yeah. so it's not quite the Golos ability, but it's just kind I mean, of one of those silly cards that you know, I love playing with an EDH is like, it gives you value, even if you're not really getting a ton out of it. Yeah. And like, if you play that in an Enchantress deck, mm -hmm. you're, you're going up. Like it's, it's drawing you a card at two mana and getting you a land, you know, fixing your five color mana pool. Yep. But, but also late game, it can shoot down a small creature and, you know, be the difference between being almost dead and being dead. Yeah. And you get another, you basically can trip again, you gain, I mean, the two life is probably not all that important at the end of the game, unless someone's going off or something, but you draw two yeah. cards, you get a, you get a bear token, I mean, yep. that, that that's something. Yeah, so is this, you, this, you, is, this is one of those you, cards. You gain two, Yeah. they lose two, you shoot two, you make it two, and then you draw two. You draw two, that, yeah, that, that's, that, that's the kind of silly value I just love running in my decks. Yeah. And I think we'd be remiss about not talking about Realm Walker as well, that 2-3 oh, shapeshifter yeah. for 2 and a green, which is a changeling, and as Realm, Realm Walker excuse me, enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. You may look at the top card of your library at any time, and you may cast creature spells of the chosen type from the top of your library. So again, if you're playing this in any sort of tribal deck, all of a sudden, boom, you have instant value. You have that top card of your library effect on there. You can cast cards from the top of your library as long as they're the creature type. This just seems like a busted card for pretty much any tribal deck running green. Oh, yeah. If, if this doesn't get reprinted in the near future, Realm Walker will be on par with Oracle of Moldiah within two years. Yeah, I, I think now I'm actually going to have to pick up a copy of this one. I've got uh, one of my human decks that runs Slesnia colors, so I think I'm going to have to pick this up to make sure that I can start... Uh, running a lot of humans off the top of my deck. Yeah, that'd be a wonderful enabler for that. Yeah. Speaking be. of humans, I have another green one for you. All right, go ahead. Finn the Fangbearer. Oh, yep. I actually got him sitting right here on my desk with me, a foil copy. Unfortunately, it's a Pringle, but still a very good yeah. card. Yeah, it is. It's impressive how it came out. It's like, oh, it has Death Touch and it dealt damage. Okay. Instead of X damage equal to the amount that it did, it's just going to do two poison counters. Yep. So, like, you can make a Selesnia Death Touch token deck and wipe a table for less than six mana. Like, it's a... If it goes off in standard right now, it is a turn four or turn five game. Wow. Yeah. And and you don't normally see that, especially, at least from what I understand in the 60-card formats, out of something that looks i mean it typically kind of underwhelming it, it's a one three with death touch that yeah. I, I guess the fact that it's able to warp the format so much in its own way is is kind of a testament to how how popular infect can be if you can build it right absolutely yeah that's 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 pretty crazy i mean again I, we've heard a lot of tech about finn the fang bearer over in the edh world 
Again, you can build mono green, in fact, or if you want to build uh, in other color combinations, it's a very good card. But again, if you want to run into the commander, it does somewhat limit your options, I suppose. But green has a lot of ways to be able to pump your creatures and then bash them through. So, yeah, Finn yeah. is a very strong card in EDH, just out of mono green. And another card I actually really like, another another one I pulled from my sealed pool. I seem to have actually gotten a halfway decent sealed pool this time around in my pre-release pack, even though I wasn't able to play sealed this time. And I actually really like Kolvori, God of Kinship. And that's a 2-4 God for 2 green green. As long as you control 3 or more legendary creatures, gets plus 4, plus 2, and adds Vigilance, and then has a tap ability to be able to put a legendary card from your library into your hand. And this just seems like the kind of thing where if you're playing mono green legends, kind of the Reiki uh, deck here as well, it just seems like a way to be able to pull a whole lot of really interesting creatures off the top of your deck. So I can think of running things like uh, Grothama, Goreclaw, uh, Gargos, just running legendary creature tribal and being able to not only pump your commander here, but also just be able to get a whole bunch of those cards into your hand out of your deck. There's a lot of untapping effects in green, and it just seems like that kind of card where I haven't really found a use for it yet, but someday it'll end up being slipped into the 99 or as a commander of its own deck. It just seems like kind of my sleeper pick out of green for this set. It, it definitely looks like a fun... Like, the fact digging six deep is impressive. I think this has a home in, like, a Kethis deck. Sure, sure. It's like everything kind of lines up together well there with everything's legendary everything kind of cycles back through mm -hmm. yeah i definitely agree with with that one it it just seems like the kind of car and then the back side is uh the ring hard crest where you can add a green you can spend that mana only to cast a creature a creature spell the chosen type or a legendary creature spell so even if you have to to play it on the artifact side you can still utilize it as a mana rock to be able to to cast some sort of creature spell or especially legendary so but again it's not as powerful as the god side but again it's still not a useless card by any means on that side yeah okay um and then obviously we i think we'd be remiss to not talk about toski bear of secrets and vorn just oh. because <laughs> oh vorn yep um how much of that is a wrecker and standard right now I mean, honestly, you don't see too horribly much of it, but I'm a huge fan of playing it in my Snowtron deck because it comes down, and then the next turn, Ugin comes down, and I just ult immediately. Okay, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. That actually sounds painful. Uh, yeah, there's usually a pretty quick concede once uh, Ugin hits the board. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Ugin is gross. Yeah, especially Ugin when you can instantly draw seven, gain seven, and put seven down. Yeah. And then you also have Warren Clex, just a 6-6 six, six yeah. Trample Hasty for 4-4 four, four, four Green Green. Yeah, I can see why people would quit at that point. Absolutely. And then you so, obviously have Toski Bear of Secrets, Legendary Squirrel, who's indestructible. Has kind of a weird, um, weird ability where it has to attack each turn of Able, but um, makes up for it by giving you an Anthem Effect the uh, kind of the reconnaissance mission coastal piracy effect just in green for being able to trample over your opponent. So it, I, I, I'm not really sure. I haven't really seen this one played, but I can definitely see this working well with the, the typical mono green stompy things that green loves to do. 
I have seen Toski both as the commander and in the 99, as well as a lot of Toski in standard. Um, Toski in the 99 is terrifying, especially <laughs> when there are eight copies of Toski. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, someone slapped down a Sakashima on a Toski, and then Spark doubled, and oh. I think they had their uh, reflections out. Yep. And, uh, yeah... Turns out, drawing, like, eight cards for every creature that did damage, pretty good. I mean, I, I think we also have to use our one-per-video Sakashima is very good um, yes. plug here. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I don't know if Sakashima can be bad at all. I, well, it was even worse because it was Sakashima paired with um, Volrat, the Shape Sealer, and I uh -huh. believe there was a Kodama in there as well. Oh, no. So it was, yeah, it was the, the Sultai super goodies. Oh, that that sounds just oh no, <laughs> that that is disgusting. Yeah. So I actually have something that surprised me that I'm yeah. seeing a decent amount in standard, mm -hmm. but I think are amazing for EDH, especially All for right. EDH more controlling decks. The uh, the sacrifice lands. Okay. Like a uh, great hall of Starnheim and not Vault Slumbermound. Mm-hmm. Where it's just, you know, they're there. They're one color. But late game, if you have nothing else, you sacrifice it. And most of them make something along the lines of a... I think most of them make a 4-4. Four, four. Or at least two of them make a 4-4. Four, four. But they all have unique abilities to the card colors. Mm -hmm. I feel like they're... They're not amazing. They're not like, oh, this is breaking the format. But... There are abilities that are nice to have redundancy on, and just having it on a land, if you're flooding out, it's kind of cool. Sure. Uh, do you have a favorite on, on one of those? Favorite for performance is probably uh, Immersturm Skullcairn. Okay. My favorite to use is probably Gates of Isfel, because I, I like gaining life and drawing cards. Yeah, I mean, especially since you're playing in, in Azorius Colors, the fact you're able to gain two life, draw two cards off the gates is, is actually surprisingly underrated. Yeah. Yeah, and then... And it's yeah. it, it's also often that you uh, tend to stall out in a blue-white control shell. Yeah. Let's see. Um, but even the port of Carfell... Uh, three blue, black, black, tap, sacrifice, and mill four cards, then recur a creature from your graveyard to the battlefield. I mean, that seems pretty good, especially since black especially has a ton of huge creatures you can just return um, yeah. just for a mana sink right there. Sure, it costs uh, seven, uh, ultimately, because you end up having to tap six plus then it, the, the land itself. Yeah. But, you know, for seven to be able to do that, especially if it's on someone's end step or something, that's not terrible i i think that's actually some sneaky value um in the very much situations so. and even something like tyrite sanctum uh, again a land that provides you colorless mana but can also just be utilized to turn a target legendary creature into a god if you have any kind of uh, abilities to be able to do that but just the fact you can put a plus one plus one counter on a target legendary creature I mean, again, it's not the most uh, efficient way to get plus one, plus one counters on your on your legendaries, but I think in the right kind of deck, just having just being able to utilize that mana that you may not be able to utilize otherwise um, is not terrible, and then you can sacrifice it to make target god indestructible with an indestructible counter. So again, we're seeing the Ikori indestructible counter return here, 
and be able to make one of your gods indestructible is not yeah. necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it it seems like the kind of land where, again, it's going to require some setup, but I think you can get some incremental value off this as the game goes along. Very much uh, so. Earlier today, before the podcast mm-hmm. recording, I played a game of EDH with some new friends on Spell Table, yep. and I saw Ayula, Queen of Bears, become a god uh, about eight times in one game. <laughs> well, that's crazy. Yeah, because of that one card, that Tyrite Sanctum. Because you can just keep using that over and over and over again. It doesn't replace the the creature type. So yeah, you you can just keep using that plus plus one plus one plus one counters on that creature because it. Your creature, it, it, it doesn't overwrite the fact that the creature is already a god. It basically said it becomes a god in addition to its other types. So god, 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 bear <laughs> is is quite, I, I may have missed one actually. But yeah, that, that, that's, yeah that, that seems pretty scary. And then you can sacrifice an instant speed to make Ayula in that case indestructible through the indestructible counter. So seems like a very interesting utility land. Maybe not kind of the the main land that a lot of the higher powered EDH players would want to be, but definitely something more in my wheelhouse, kind of in the middle to jank brews. Kind of that sil, silly, fun utility land to try out once in a while. Very much so. All right, and again to the next thing, since we're talking about lands, um, again, I haven't really had much of a chance to play around with these, but I would be remiss if I didn't in- include the snow-covered lands in this segment. So again, I don't know how much these are utilized in standard since there may not be a ton of payoffs, but I'm just curious to know if, if these lands have gotten any planned standard or if they're pretty much just EDH staples. Uh, so for people who are doing competitive, like actual ranked play, mm-hmm. a fair amount. Um, Frostbite alone is making uh, Snow-Covered Mountains a presence in standard. Gotcha. Uh, there are some cards, like there's a, a blue-black, and I think there's even an Esper build of it that uses uh, Priest of the Haunted Edge that you tap and sacrifice it to give target creature negative X, negative X equals the amount of snow lands you have. Mm-hmm. And it just keeps recurring that over and over with um, uh, Luris. Sorry, it took me a second there. Okay, yeah, that, yeah, that, that makes sense. But um, like for me, I'm a huge fan of Yorm. So uh, the yep. Sultike, I'm playing a lot of snowlands. Like even I said earlier, my um my current Tron deck in standard is Snowtron. Yeah, that makes sense. You're able to get a whole bunch of value off these creatures or uh, sorry, not not of your creatures, but you're able to get a lot of value off just having those snowlands. And plus they just look yeah. really nice too. Yeah, they they are gorgeous. Even like even the uh the snow duels that come in tapped are pretty awesome oh yeah and then we obviously have the world tree which is not broken in any any way fashion or form no <laughs> I, not at all i say that facetiously obviously the world tree for those who don't know is it's a land that enters the battlefield tapped it's not legendary for some reason um taps for green and as long as you control six or more lands lands you control have tapped to add one mana of any color there's a caveat for you EDH players out there is that you have to be playing this in a Wooberg deck, so the five-color decks, because you have to pay double Wooberg and tap it to sacrifice the World Tree, and you can search your library for any number of god cards, put them in on the battlefield, then shuffle your library. So again, this is the kind of the enabler for god tribal, but I can definitely see you being able to just play any five-color good stuff utilizing this card because, because of its uh, first ability. Well, I, I guess second ability there. 
uh, the static ability that if you control six or more lands, all your lands can tap for mana of any color. So at that point, the mana fixing, I think, is more important. Uh, if, you're, if you're playing a non-god tribal deck, I think that static ability is going to be more important. Yeah, I think so. Um, if you just look at the, the first three lines of text, this looks like a, a fixed take on Dryad of Elysian Grove. Okay, that makes sense. But when you get to that bottom part, even in standard, that that's there are two different decks that I'm aware of that do that with some kind of regularity. There's one that makes everything into gods with um, Nexus, and then there's one that just plays all the gods because they're pretty powerful. Yeah, they definitely are. So yeah, I mean, the, the World Tree just seems like one of those decks where you can go a lot of ways with that. I mean, you can even use it as a source of green mana if you need to, so... Yeah, there, there's just a lot of a uh, lot of value in in that card, and it's definitely a reason why it's getting up there in price. I mean, I guess it's about yeah. four bucks right now, but yeah, that's probably going to be going up as more people figure out how it how it works and what it can do. Anyway, I, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. But I think it's going to climb in price fairly yeah. quickly and a lot of these cards are definitely going to start climbing in price as we go on obviously the chaff is going to start being separated from the real gold and i think in a year we're going to be seeing some of these cards really go up there in cost whereas the rest of the set's going to kind of stay stay affordable and be, be easily accessible for players on a budget like myself um, are, are there anything from your experience about the set that you really didn't like? Anything that's not quite performing up to expectations or just some card designs that you didn't really like? I'm just curious to know what your thoughts are on the opposite side of the coin. You know, honestly, no. Uh, this is probably the first set in Standard in a while that I have pretty much thoroughly enjoyed it. Like, even the cards that I'm frustrated seeing come at me, they're not horribly broken like I, i'm not a huge fan of playing against finn the fanning bear sure but i don't think finn is terrible like i could i can kill finn with almost all of my decks before i die to infect but it's close enough to where just about everything is viable like you can play any color control or you can play white weenie uh green stompy red burn you can do almost anything in the current meta in standard and i think that's a very healthy sign for these cards moving on to other formats like they're not horribly broken but they are definitely pushed oh yeah and especially in edh there's just so many cards again the cards that we've mentioned but there's so many others that we haven't mentioned that are fairly playable in a lot of edh decks and oh yeah I mean, even like something like Doomscar, you know, which you can foretell sorcery for three white-white to destroy all creatures. Well, again, that's effectively one more mana than Wrath of God. But the fact that you can foretell it for one white-white gives it actually much more utility than Wrath of God in a lot of ways. Because you, you, you can save that extra mana for what you're going to do after you cast the Wrath. So, yeah. I mean, even something like that can definitely change how how you play EDH depending on the mana value. Again, there we, there we go. I got it correct this time. Mana value. Um, yeah. man, I'm, it, I, I still trip up over that all the time. I'm, I'm never going to get used to that, to be honest. It's, <laughs> it's, just, it, it's weird. 
and th th there's just so many other things here. even something like giant ox you can play that in a vehicle tribal deck and that yep. is something that didn't get a lot of uh, hasn't really hasn't had a lot of uh support since uh in for, for a couple of years here and yeah for since kaladesh block and the fact you're able to utilize its toughness, which is six, rather than its power to crew vehicles, I mean, at common, in the right kind of deck, I, I think that, that 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 could definitely be something that people will be playing going forward in specific decks, obviously. I mean, you can play that in Shram. There's a couple other... Uh, DePaulo really like, loves that kind of card with a lot of vehicle tribal. I can see that one getting a lot of, uh, a lot of play here going forward. Um... Actually, you know what? I just remembered. There is one card that I did not like the the, the build of. Okay. Call the Forge Master. All right. Uh, Boros Colors two two, and it's whenever another non-token creature you control dies, if it was enchanted or equipped, you put it back in your hand. Or I'm sorry, it's owner's hand. Okay. In case you steal somebody else's stuff. But then it has a second line that says creature tokens you control that are enchanted or equipped get plus one plus one. It incentivizes one, but disincentivizes the other. Yeah, that's a bit of a problem. Yeah, like it, I think they could have been safe in just like tapping on another colorless mana and having that say creatures you control that are enchanted or equipped get plus one plus one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because otherwise like that sounds like the perfect kind of card for my Rayov Master Smith deck, for instance. It's perfect, because you're going to yeah. be trying to enchant or equip creatures in that deck to be able to give them double strike. Cole means they go back in your hand, but I'm not creating tokens in that deck. So Yeah. But I suppose you could go two ways with this card. It, it doesn't just force you along one path. So, I mean, I guess there is some flexibility there. If, if we want I, I will give it that. It does have if you want to do either of those two things, you can do them. But it, it feels like it was so close to being, no, this is a Boros card that is just good on its own. Yeah, sure. That I, That's definitely a fair criticism on this card. It, it just, it seems a little bit uh, scattered. I'll, I'll just say that yeah. much. As far as it's, as far as it's design. And there were, there were a lot of interesting sagas on here as well. Out of curiosity, how much do the sagas get played in standard? Um, a fair amount, actually. Um, Harold Unites the Elves and uh, Binding the Old Gods. Um, so those two I, ha I have seen probably the most of being used and in tandem, especially in the Golgari Elves builds that are mm -hmm. running around in Standard. Uh, and I think that they're both massively powerful in uh, EDH as well. Yeah, so for the, again, for the listeners, Binding the Old Gods, Saga for Two Black Green... Number one, chapter one is destroy target non-land permanent and opponent controls, which is always powerful. Number two is search your library for a forest card, put it on the battlefield tap, then shuffle your library. And chapter three is creatures you control gain death touch until end of turn. So again, not overly powerful on, on number two and three there, because again, other cards do that. But the fact you're able to get all three of those for four mana over three turns is very powerful in its own way. Yeah. All right. I, I will say... A, a pet card when it comes to the sagas is waking the trolls. I've only mm. seen one other person play it on in a arena on standard, um, but it's four and gruel colors. Chapter one: destroy a land. Target two: put target land from a graveyard under the battlefield under my control. Mm -hmm. Target three: choose an opponent. If they control fewer lands than you, you make a number of four four 
green troll warriors equal to the difference in lands. And they have trample. Yeah, that that seems like if you're able to just ramp, ramp, ramp in the early turn, slam this down. If you're able to get it through three, which you can do if you have proliferate um, fairly quickly, yeah, you could. this could definitely give you a ton of trolls, especially in EDH. Yeah. Yeah, that's an, that's an instant army right there. Plus, you can also potentially steal someone's land. It says destroy target land, so you can pick off someone else's extremely powerful land or just destroy that strip mine. Yep, just take somebody's guy as cradle. Yeah, there's just so much value in the fact that it's not destroyed basic land. It's, you can destroy target land and then put target land card. If it was just if it was take ba take target basic land, not so much. But and then it doesn't even come in tapped. It's yeah, the it, fact that it just, it's just you, you play and it's immediately available for mana, whatever maze of Ith too, something like that would be perfect with this card. Yeah, absolutely. I guess I, I, guess I never thought about that. That's that's interesting. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, again, we've talked a lot about some of the cards that have been showing up in Standard, showing up in EDH. Again, we're running short on time here, so are there any other cards that you think that we haven't talked about here that you really think uh, could see a lot more play going forward? Kind of some of the hidden gems? I think Absorb Identity is probably one of them. It's uh, one in a blue for an instant, and you return a creature to its owner's hands, and shapeshifters you control become copies of it until end of turn. Hmm. I think that just has a fair amount of play in a fair number of decks. Oh yeah, no kidding. It's like, oh, you're playing White uh, Steel Colossus? I'll have eight of those. Yeah, that that's gross. Yeah. But but even if it's not something like White Steel Colossus, you're still able to get a lot of value off it, even if it's... I, I don't know, I'm just looking through some of the, the, the cards on here. Even in just a common, if you can find something halfway decent, even if you get a Land of War Elves, you get four or five yep. of those, all of a sudden you've got a lot of, a lot of extra mana for that turn. So it, it definitely seems like for, with the right creature, you can get a lot of value. And even if you just get a so-so creature with it, if you have four or five creatures on the battlefield, you can still get a lot of value out of that. Oh, yeah. Just have to be careful about the legendary rule, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah, that the legendary rule usually ends up being a problem, which is why Sakashima always shows up in these sorts of builds. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Sakashima. And then, uh, again, I think we'd be remiss not to talk about the Valky, God of Lies, Tybalt. <laughs> oh, yeah. Card. And, and, and how the, fa the fact that that card actually caused a rules change on how Cascade works. Yeah. Did you uh, have to deal with that, or were you playing that before the ban? Uh, I, I played against it. I was not playing it. Uh, I mean, it was... Was it as bad as people said? Um... No, because I was playing mono black at the time, and the the deck folded to a turn one duress. Okay. Other than that, though, no, it would have been horrible. Like if I'd been playing Snowtron at that point, I probably would not have played for a week or so. Yeah, it sounded pretty busted to me, at least from what I've heard and the people I know who who play standard. It sounded pretty rough. Yeah. Which honestly, I'm so, so like not going into Turgrid, but like the discourse around Turgrid, I'm impressed that that same conversation is not going on around Valky because there's a lot of similarity there of taking things from your opponents. 
Yeah, I, I guess you're, you're, you're right on that one. I haven't heard a whole ton about this one, but I think, I think part of that had to do with the fact that how Valky was getting brought out um, in standard. I, I think it ended up kind of being a casualty of standard versus being a made-for-commander type card. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, obviously, they're both really busted in commander in their own way, but you're right. I haven't heard much discourse about Valky or Tybalt at all in Commander in regards to, well, people should ban this card or don't ban this card. Yeah. I think, I think because you end up having to choose one side or the other, that might take a little bit of the steam out of the card. I'm not sure. That's just a theory on my end. And, and, and the well, standard I mean, banning has definitely hurt its stock. Just kind of like how we don't necessarily always see Uro in Commander. I think some of the standard... Uh, bannings actually really have of impacts on EDH. That's fair. Yeah, I think I see that. I mean, again, it's just a theory. I'm not sure, but I, I would like to think that maybe that's the reason why we don't see Valky running rampant in our format or uh, Oko for that instance, versus again having to kind of deal with that turgid conversation all the time or just feel like we're having it all the time just because it, it seems it seems like the turkerate is the boogeyman valky is kind of annoying but i haven't seen it played in edh and i mean or maybe i did one i can't quite remember but it's just it it's not as I, omnipresent i guess as turkerate feels in the distance yes yeah. i i've played one game against valky slash uh, tybalt and there were, I think, four. I, I can't remember what it was. It was um, the veil, the chain veil. Yep, chain veil. Where it allows you to replicate mm-hmm. abilities. Um, I don't remember the specific circumstances. I think it was Mirror Hall, but they basically made a, an almost infinite amount of copies, each allowing you to uptick. Mm-hmm. And that was scarring. <laughs> Yeah, I can definitely see that being a problem just because of Tybalt's uh, static ability. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you don't even have to cast those. You could just force people to almost mill out at that point. Yeah, basically. Uh, um, again, I want to thank you for being on the episode today. We've talked about a lot of amazing call time cards. And again, I've learned a lot more about Standard. So that I definitely consider that to be welcome on the show, especially since I talk a lot about EDH on here. And again, I know some of my listeners are interested in hearing about other formats, so it's been nice to be able to break that up a little bit and talk about formats that are not 100-card singleton. So again, I would like to thank you for being on the show. Again, where can people find you on the socials? Uh, As Michael1916 across Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube. Uh, Again, mostly primarily on Twitter at the moment, but working on the other stuff again. All right, sound good. And you can find more podcasts here on the MTG and Quarantine channel on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Casts, and wherever fine podcasts are found. So for Michael1916, my name's MJ. You've been listening to the MTG and Quarantine podcast. Have a great rest of your day.